Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yes, can you hear me? Hello, Erlen. How are you? Just You're fine, good. and yourself? How good? You hear me well? Oh, yes, most definitely. Perfect. Okay, let's start. My guest today is none other than Drew Ellsworth Mactree. And do forgive me if I said the last name wrong, but he is from Living History, comes alive on YouTube, and he is here today to talk about the Civil War. And now, just my first question is why the, what got you so interested in the Civil War? Well, to be honest with you, I started doing historical reenacting 30 years ago, uh, and I started off with the um, with the the fur trade era, buckskinning, um, which basically was the foundation of, of can- Canada and America. Um, right. There were countries all over that were sending fur traders and stuff here because it was such a rich, untapped land. Uh, And that's actually what got me started uh, doing um, living history reenactments in general. Civil War actually came when I started researching my own family and found out that I had people that fought on both sides. Wow. Uh, I had them them from the north and I had them in, in the southern states. Right. So that that got me very interested in it. So I started. I just added that in. So now I do everything from pre-colonization America up to the cowboy era. Right. And what what is historically real reliving? What is exactly the reenacting of living history? If you can elaborate a little for those who may not know oh, what it is. Most. Oh, most definitely. I know a lot of countries don't do it. Now, I know there are a lot of European countries that do do it. Um, basically, what we do is we go out, um, pre- prearranged locations, usually cities or, or states, will set us apart a park or private land or something, and we'll go out and we will set up the tents the way they were set up back in that time period. We right. will put on the clothes um, we use the same kind of guns they used and we basically live if it's a, if it's a revolutionary war right. uh, event we live like they lived in 1776 if it's a civil war event we live like they did between 1861 and 1865 right. so it's kind of like larping like role playing in a way yes 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 and I'm, I'm t- this has been a long time American tradition, hasn't it been? Like since Crazy Horse and uh, since those times. Oh Lord, yes, it's been going on. People have been doing historical reenacting and what we call rendezvousing, which is a gathering. It's an encampment. Um, 
we've been doing it in America for, I would say, probably 70 or 80 years. Right. And, and this is, for, apart from the obvious question, I guess, obvious answer, forgive me, but there's been so many civil wars in the world history, and I just want to know why this... What does everyone knows about? What do you think makes this one so famous, the American Civil War, and that everyone knows about it? So what, what do you think makes this one such a unique Civil War? You know, that's probably one of the hardest questions on the list of questions that you gave me. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> I think the big thing with the American Civil War was uh, civil wars in other countries. You have had a group of people, a small group of people who rose up against a tyrant or um, uh, a, a, a bad king or a bad ruler of some kind. In the American Civil War, you actually had groups, uh, states that completely right. broke away from their government. They formed their own government, their own president, their own vice president. They had their own flag. They formed their own army. You know, it just, it was on such a, such a, a much more enormous scale than, right. uh, than, you know, like the English civil war or, or something like that. Or, well, here we'll branch in closer to home the occupation of the nazi occupation in germany during the war you know a lot right. of people rose up germans themselves rose up against their cousins their nephews their uncles their brothers there but the but the but the american civil war was such such a much and more enormous scale of events Right. I think that's and, what made it so much bigger. Right. And then at what point, we talked briefly about this in the previous episode. I don't know if you listened to it already, but we talked briefly about what triggered the war. But in case somebody hasn't listened to that episode yet, which they should do because it's a great episode, what, what's, what were some of the trigger points to the, to the Civil War to begin with? Well, a, a lot of historians will a lot of historians will blame slavery right you know oh well the the southern states had slaves but what they don't take into consideration is that a lot of northern states had slaves too right it was more and it, this was a big thing that occurred during the American Revolution. Um, um, they, um, the states didn't have, didn't feel they had equal representation from the Union government. They, they felt like they were, that well, they were overtaxed for the product uh, back then. Two of the main products the South grew was tobacco and cotton, and they were taxed so high for shipping their product out. But the northern states were not were not taxed as much to ship right. the finished product out, and that was one of that was 
that was actually one of one of the largest trigger points to the to the war. Slavery right. did not become a point in this in the American Civil War until Abraham Lincoln wrote a letter to President Jefferson Davis of the Confederate States of America and basically said to him, keep your slaves. We don't care about them. We have slaves here. We need your product. We need your raw material to make our product. Right. But it wasn't, you know, this, it wasn't the Northern State. Right. But wasn't the Northern State more industrialized at this point than the Southern States? Yes. Yes. The Northern States were a lot more industrialized and they relied on the raw product that came out of the South for clothing or for um, trade with other countries, tobacco raw cotton um the north had much more industrialization at that point in time and do you think this is why some of the southern states today are so poor because they didn't industrialize as much as the northern states did back in the 1800 because in those times industrial industrialization sorry is that was the key to to economic success yes i would i would have to agree with that so do you think do you think that's why it's so much so much the southern states are so poor today? In a way, I mean, we have so many so many large cities and stuff down there that have good industrialization now. Um, right. But you've got so much, so many groups of people that live outside the cities that, yeah. that yes i can honestly see where the absence of that industrialization all over the place like we have up north um i, I can see that as being a major cause of the of the uh of how poor the southern states seem right and I just going to, go to go back in time again now. And uh, I, I want to ask at what point do you think that Lincoln realized that this civil war is inevitable and that this going to happen? I would say when Mississippi uh, seceded from the Union, um, I, I could I could honestly see. That's about the time he sat back in his chair and thought, oh, my God, this is inevitable. Right. And can you elaborate, elaborate a little bit of why Mississippi left the Union and what, what were the reasons for leaving? Well, uh, once again, it fell back on taxation. It fell back uh, taxation without representation. Uh, right. They, they didn't they did not feel like they were. um they were respected. They didn't. They did not feel like they were represented as fairly as those northern states were, and they were not going to stand for it. They said, "They said to heck with this. We will start our own country." Which, if a person looks into the Bill of Rights for the United States, secession is legal. Now, everybody right. screams, oh, well, they, they pulled themselves away from, from the government and they formed their own government. But the Bill of Rights in the United States says that if a, if, if a, if a state feels 
that they are not equally represented by the government, they can take action. Right. It doesn't specify what action. So they pulled away to start their own country. Right. But this was changed after the Civil War, wasn't it? That they, no, you, you can't leave the Union. Yes. Well, again. Yes, that, that, uh, that was changed. So uh, tell me about the Fort Sumner attack. Sumter attack, sorry. What was, no, that? What was, the, Fort, what was the Fort Sumter attack and how did it happen? Well, uh, the attack on Fort Sumter was, was April 12th and 13th of 1861. And basically what that was, was the bombardment of uh, uh, a, a, an Atlantic fort near, uh, near Charleston, South Carolina, um, by the South Carolina militia. And, right. um, you know, the return, uh, the return fighting and the subsequent surrender uh, by the United States Army is what started the Civil War. Right. Can you draw, draw in detail? Will you be able to draw in detail on this attack? Uh, well, uh, let me see here. There was a declaration of secession by South Carolina on uh, in December of, of 1860, and right. its its authorities demanded that the U.S. Army abandon the facilities around Charleston Harbor. Uh, which right. w- was the shipyards and Fort Sumter. Um, and uh, on December 26th, Major Robert Anderson of the U.S. Army uh, serendipitously moved his small command from uh, Fort Moultrie on Sullivan Island to Fort Sumter. So instead of pulling out like they were ordered to do, they moved to a to a, a stronger stronghold. And right. this, now this is the Northern Army. This is the Union Army. Since South Carolina had had already pulled back and said, no, we want the North out. And they right. just moved to a stronger stronghold. That's when the South Carolina militia moved in and started firing on their own fort. And uh, that leads us to the Battle of, again, I'm not too great with these names, Battle of Gettysburg. So can you t- tell, me, tell me a little bit about the Battle of Gettysburg? Oh, Lord. Gettysburg was uh, July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of... Um, 1863, and that was probably one of the worst. Um, that was probably one of the worst worst battles of the Civil War. So why why was it so bad? Why why was it worse? What happened here? I've got I've got background noise. Yeah. I'm trying to get my. That's fine. Don't there worry it about it. Perfect. So, why? What was it so bad, and what? 
what happened there that's made it one of the worst battle in the Civil War? Well, Gettysburg being, if you hold up your hand um, and you look at your hand in front of you, that is how the roads were coming out of Gettysburg. And I'm trying to get with my or keep with my notes here. Gettysburg was a strategic point. Uh, right. There were there were roads that led off of Gettysburg that were that like I said was almost like a hand, and what it done was each one of these roads led to a specific point that General Lee of the Confederate Army wanted to take. It it was the largest engagement in the American Civil War. And it was it was fought um, well within reach of Washington, D.C., Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, like I said, it lasted for three days, over 51,000 soldiers on both sides lost their lives in those three days. I just I just took wow. a trip to Gettysburg. Uh, Living History Comes Alive actually just went to Gettysburg the end of October. And to understand that Gettysburg, the battlefield for Gettysburg, was not just Gettysburg. It was actually 27 square miles of surrounding area. And still to this day, they are finding remnants when people will will put in a new garage or build a new house or put a pool in their yard. They are still finding bones, guns, just it, it, it was horrendous. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to how to describe it. I mean, I don't. I haven't studied much of, of, of about war and the battles over in the European countries, so I don't even know how to compare it. Where your listeners would be able to really understand the 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 size and complexity of it. Did you take a look around yourself when you were in Gettysburg to try to find weapons yourself? Oh, uh, there's. They're so hard to find, and you have to dig for them or metal detect for them, uh, and they don't allow you to do that on the battlefields and stuff. Um, I right. went out there and done done a partial history investigation and a partial haunted history investigation. Uh, right. Gettysburg is supposed to be one of the most haunted places in North America um, because of that battle and how sudden so many thousands of people died. Right. And, of course, you mentioned him briefly, but many may think of General Custer as the Native, in the Native American Wars, but he also fought in, in the Civil War. So what, what was his role in the Civil War, and how did he rise the ranks to become a general? Oh, uh, Custer. There's a good Custer one. I, I actually live in Michigan about two hours away from where Custer spent most of his life in Monroe, Michigan. Um, 
he graduated from uh, West Point um, in uh, June of 1861 and entered the army as a second lieutenant at the start of the civil war um right he his the first action he saw was that uh was at the battle of bull run and um he later which we on, will talk about which we will talk about later oh yeah well there was actually two battle of bull runs there was the first battle of bull run the second battle of bull run um right but during the Battle of Bull Run, he caught the eye of Major General George McClellan, which was the commander of the Union Army of the Potomac. And um, Custer joined that officer's staff and developed contacts with many of the senior commanders. And, and in 1863, at the age of 23, he became a brigadier general of uh, U.S. volunteers leading the Michigan Cavalry Brigade. Um, right. Uh, let me see. So here. tell he me really, about the, his cavalry. Tell me, tell you about what? The cavalry and the way the way he was leading. How what made him such a good general? General. He would not back down. He impressed Washington. He impressed um, the other generals, especially McClellan. Um, he, he just he didn't know when to stop. He always he he actually seemed like he was the luckiest man in the war, regardless right. of what he charged into. He always came out smelling like flowers. Right. And we have a, we have a saying here in the States, and I don't know if you guys have it over there, but uh, he seemed like he was the only man who could step in a pile of. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and and come out smelling like posies. Um, <laughs> it just there was just something something amazing about his his fighting style, the way he led his men. Um, he was rough on his men, but his men loved him, and they would they would literally go to the ends of the earth for him. Right, and I think that's what made him such a great general. Right. And uh, this is mentioned, this is not just in the Civil War, but this is a kind of a world thing, term in military and militia and rebel term. But, but what, what exactly, guerrilla warfare was also a thing in the Civil War. So what, what, what is guerrilla warfare and how, it's, how do they fight guerrilla warfare? Oh, uh, guerrilla warfare. Guerrilla warfare. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This ran. This is something that um, the British ran into during the French and Indian War um, here in the United States. They came right. over here, and you know the British at, at that time, the same as they are today, are very proper officers. They. They always dressed pop proper. They always fought proper. They fought in their firing lines. Um, their officers were gentlemen. And uh, they were fighting right. in open fields. Well, they come over here, and they had people hiding in the woods behind trees. They had people camouflaging themselves under leaves. They had people hiding behind logs or 
uh, on the banks along riverbeds and stuff. So as these as these men were 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 marching and 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 um, keeping in their proper lines and stuff, they were getting ambushed from every side, and they never seen where these where where the shots were coming from. Um, right. The the men here fought like Native Americans did. They right. didn't they didn't get in proper firing lines. They didn't get right out in an open field where they were an easy target. They hid behind things. They hid inside buildings. They hid on rooftops, up on trees, you know, and, and they they fought like madmen. And it just right. th- that's something that the troops that came here were not used to. And that's the same thing that you were facing in the Civil War. Men were not just on battlefields. Um, the Union Army had these things called sharpshooters. And they didn't yeah. wear blue or gray. Now, the, the South had them too, but they didn't have as many sharpshooters as the Union Army did. But these men would wear green almost like Rogers Rangers back in the Revolutionary War, or, or I mean, the uh, Queens Rangers in the Revolutionary War, or Rogers Rangers in the uh, French and Indian War. They would wear that real dark green. They would hide in trees. They would hide in bushes. They, they did whatever they could, and, and that was a form of guerrilla warfare. They, they, they camouflaged themselves. They, they made themselves not an easy target. And they just right. just guerrilla attack after guerrilla attack after guerrilla attack on these on these poor troops and their encampments and their their um, their supply trains. Uh, I mean, they 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 weren't ready for it. <laughs> they just weren't ready for it. Right. And was this a more southern thing, or was this both the north and the south fighting guerrilla warfare? Um. It was a north and a south thing. Um, you had you had renegades that were in the south. You had um, you had guerrilla fighters and stuff in the north. But but both sides had sharpshooters. Both sides, which a sharpshooter is is basically it's a sniper. Right. So yes, it was a, it was a north and south thing. And uh, I want to I want to talk about someone. And again, I apologize if I get the name wrong. Uh, Jefferson Jefferson Davis. Who who was he? And uh, what was his role in in this war? Well, Jefferson Davis uh, was actually the um, the, Confe- the the president of the Confederate States of America. He was the man who was nominated to be the president of the Southern states that has, that had seceded away from the union. Um, he was an intelligent man. He knew how to build an army. Uh, he knew who to put in charge of the army. Uh, sadly enough, when the war was over, he was captured. He did serve time in prison. Um, but he, uh, he was a very, very stern commander, a commander in chief. Um, he he had some very, very good points to himself. 
Um, but other than other than serving as the president of the Southern States of America or president of the Confederate States of America, he really honestly had no other major role, which I mean, you know, being president, it's kind of major. Uh, he had the whole, he had the responsibility of all of the, all of the seceded states to make sure that their, their militias and their armies were up that he, he needed to, uh, he took, he, he took care of the, of the wealth and the, um, of the, of the Confederate States of America during the war. Right. And uh, that, that brings us to the land of war in West Virginia. So tell me about the Battle of West Virginia. West Virginia? The Peninsula Campaign? It's yes, that's it, yes. Oh, okay, that was interesting. Um, well, that was, a, um, that was a major Union operation launched in southeastern Virginia. Um, from uh, from March through July of 1862, uh, it was the very first large-scale offensive of the Eastern Theater. Um, basically, the operation, which was commanded by um, Major General George McClellan, um, was an amphibious um, movement against the Confederate States in Northern Virginia. And uh, the whole, right. the whole idea was to capture the Confederate capital of Richmond, Virginia. Um, he was, uh, McClellan was initially successful against the, um, the, the equally cautious Joseph E. Johnston. Um, but the emergence of the more aggressive General Lee uh, turned the uh, subsequent seven days battle into humiliating Union defeat. Right. And uh, I, something that I haven't really touched on is what was it like being a soldier during, uh, like a common soldier during the Civil War, like in the trench wars, and as you can see, in general, like what was the treatments and how, how were the days? Of a Confederate or a Union soldier. How were they? How were they treated? How? How? What? What was the day-to-day -day life like for a soldier? Oh in, Lord! In general? Like, how... dirty, tired, hungry, um, scared. Uh, they. Oh my gosh! How do how do I describe this? Um, they were terrified. I mean, they didn't know from day to day what was going to happen each time they closed their eyes to try to get a little bit of sleep. They were they were regularly hungry. Um, food rations were low. Um, rations were pretty much. Um, it, it was what they could carry on their person and that was it uh bacon right hard tack which is just flour and water mixed together and and baked into a little square biscuit and they'd carry this stuff around um in their packs uh on their pouches and stuff like that 
uh, bacon, maybe a little bit of coffee. Um, it, it, it was terrible. I mean, they had no way to, they had no way to, to, to rent, to, to regularly take showers or baths. Um, disease ran rampant among the soldiers, dysentery and, and um, different uh, viral infections and the worst possible scenario, if you, if, I mean, if you really want to know what it was like for the soldiers, and this, it was the same between, be, between the North and the South soldiers. Every, the right. worst possible things you can think of. More men died of disease um, during the Civil War than died of injury. Right, and what what was the how high were the chances that someone could come home to their families? Oh gosh, huh. that's a real good question. Less than fifty percent. Oh, much, much less than fifty percent. Much less than fifty percent. I, I would I would say that when when you when you volunteered to fight or you were you were drafted to fight. Um, Parents, I, I think parents would kiss their kids goodbye and and think in the back of their minds, this is the last time I'm going to see them. And when and when the right. kids went off to war, they thought the exact same thing. This is the last time I'm going to see my mother's face. It was that bad at times. Right. And... Uh... That brings us to the Battle of Bull Run or the Battles of Bull Run. Could you talk a little bit about both of the battles in this in this war? Uh Bull Run. Well, that was the name used by the Union forces. Uh, it was also called the Battle of Manassas. That's what the Southern or the Confederate forces referred to it was. And that was right. the very first major battle of the Civil War. Um, and it was a Confederate victory. Uh, the battle was fought on July 21st, 1861 in uh, Prince William County, Virginia, just north of the city of Manassas, um, about 30 miles west of uh, the southwest point of Washington, D.C. Um, Union forces were very, very slow uh, positioning themselves, and that allowed the Confederate reinforcements time to arrive uh, by train. Um, each side had about 18,000 poorly trained and poorly led troops, uh, in this, in the first battle. It, it was, uh, like I said, it was a Confederate victory and it was, uh, it was followed by a very, very disorganized retreat by the Union forces. Right, and of course, of course, we talked briefly actually about this in the first episode with Santi, which whom I know you know, and uh, Jesse James may be known as a criminal and uh, or an outlaw, not a criminal. I would both a criminal and an outlaw, but he also fought in the Civil War. So tell me a little bit about Jesse James' role in the Civil War. Jesse James. Well, let's see here. 
What can I tell you about Jesse James? I know he was a guerrilla fighter. I know he was a guerrilla fighter during the Civil War. That much I know. I know. Yeah. Um, he, uh, Missouri was a border state. That was a, a state that sat right in between or right on the line between the Union and um, the Confederacy. And uh, Jesse uh, fought with a group of Confederate guerrillas known as bushwhackers. Um, what those, what right. they were, they were basically your guerrilla fighters. They were not, they were soldiers, but they weren't soldiers. Um, what bushwhackers would do right. is they would carry out attacks against uh, not only the Union Army, but also Union sympathizers. Um, okay. And... Um, uh, in, in May of 1863, um, when he was at his family farm, um, he was ambushed and his stepfather was hung uh, by Union militiamen. And they were the, what they were doing is they were looking for the whereabouts of Jesse's brother, Frank, and fellow insurgents. Um, right. That that uh, that. August, uh, Frank had took part in a raid which spearheaded um, uh, the, the, the attacks. It was led by um, Quantrell, uh, which, uh, if you look in your history, uh, Quant it was, the group was called Quantrell's Raiders. Um, and it was an attack on an abolitionist town of Lawrence, Kansas. Um, all, and they carried out gosh, what's a good word? Um, horrendous acts. Um, it's also called the Lawrence Massacre. Um, right. That Jesse James was a part yes. of. Yes. Um, some 200 men and boys were killed and numerous buildings were destroyed. Um, Jesse was like 16 years old at this time and uh, he followed in his brother's footsteps and became a bushwhacker. Um, but this, this kind of this kind of so guerrilla warfare was wasn't really well respected, if I remember no. correctly. Like they didn't have the respect of a soldier. No, they 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 didn't. They did not have that respect. Um, I mean, granted, we were talking earlier about how the soldiers uh, were were cared for, how they ate, and how they how they survived right. they didn't have a lot of supplies so even regular military units would raid towns they would steal cattle they would steal hogs they would steal eggs chickens they would raid houses they would raid stores and, and steal what they needed to survive desperate times exactly Exactly. Very, very well put. And uh, I think that brings us to the army of Pot the army of Potomac and the war in the east. So can you tell me a little bit about? It? Again, I do have to read my own handwriting, and it's that of a five grader, so do forgive me. But uh, the army of Potomac. And the war in the east. Could you tell me a little bit about okay, this? Okay, the, the Army of the Potomac. 
um, was what it's it, that was the principal army um, of the Eastern Theater in the Civil War. Uh, it was created in July of 1861, shortly after the Battle of Bull Run. Uh, and it was disbanded in June of 1865, following the surrender uh, of the Confederate Army of Northern Virginia. Um, basically, the Army, the yeah. Army of Potomac, was uh, only the size of the corps relative uh, to the size of the Union Army. Uh, its nucleus was called the Army of Northeastern Virginia. And it was under uh, Brigadier General McDowell. Uh, it was the army that fought the war's first major battles. Um, and it, uh, oh gosh, where can I go with this? I mean, it was the, Ar the Army of the Potomac was the main branch of the Union military during the Civil War. They, they, they fought right. in almost every major engagement in the Eastern Theater. Right. And uh, I don't need, I'm sort of different because we need to jump a little back and forth here. So, uh, Battle of Fred Fredericksburg, why is that so well known? And what, what, was, what was the Battle of Fredericksburg? The Battle of Fredericksburg. We don't have to talk about this if you if it's not something you need. You know, well, too much about. Don't worry. It was it was an important battle, but it it was it was fought in December number one, which was which was really bad. It was uh, it was fought in and around Fredericksburg, Virginia, um, in what I just mentioned, the Eastern Theater. Um, the combat between the Union Army of the Potomac and um, the the Confederacy uh, under General Lee at that time inc included futile frontal attacks by the Union Army uh, on December 13th against the entrenched Confederate defenders uh, up on the hills and stuff behind the city. Um, it's remembered as one of the most one-sided battles of the war with uh, the Union suffering twice as many casualties as was suffered by the, uh, by the Confederacy. Um, uh, uh, well, let's put it this way. One visitor to the battlefield described the battle to President Lincoln as butchery. I mean, that's how one-sided it was. Right. And uh, we're going to soon end this, but I want to talk a little bit about the South surrendering and the aftermath of civil war and the treatment of North treatment of the South. So could you tell me a little bit about what was like the aftermath, the surrender, and the, sorry, the surrender, the aftermath, and how they treated the South afterwards? Well, the, the, the surrender... Uh, of, of General Lee to General Grant at Appomattox Courthouse was on April 9th, 1865. Um, they had just got done fighting um, on April 3rd. 
um, the Battle of Appomattox. Uh, they finally, uh, the South finally realized that there was no way to succeed. Um, and uh, General Lee uh, received the permission, the okay, to officially surrender. And this, like I said, this happened at uh, Appomattox County, Virginia, at the courthouse, which at that time was just a little teeny tiny brick building. And um, he, he appeared with uh, several of his men, uh, Union and Confederate soldiers stood outside together while the generals and a few of their men met inside. And um, terms of surrender were given to Lee, and he accepted. Um, as for the treatment right. afterwards, the treatment afterwards was called reconstruction, and and basically that was that was the North coming into the South and helping to uh, to make it livable again, to help. Clean up right. the clean up the mess. Clean up the bodies. Clean up the towns. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm getting a little dry. <clears throat> That's fine. It was just um, it was a very long and drawn out period. And uh, pardon the way this sounds. I, once again, it's an American saying. I don't know if you guys have it over there. It was very half-assed. Um, right. I mean, they didn't go down there and completely rebuild everything. They didn't go down there and completely clean everything. They basically went down there. They helped to organize things back up. They took, uh, they took weapons. They took any any horses that were still there. They took any prisoners. They helped to basically say, "Okay, this is what you need to do." They helped them a little, and then the army pulled out. And, and it was right. a very, it was a very rough and, and challenging time for the people of the former Confederacy to, to, to rebuild their lives, to, to, uh, to begin again. Um, and right. once again, this kind of follows into what we were talking about earlier with with the reason that the, the people in the southern states seem poorer than some of them in the north. They didn't have the help. They didn't once again, didn't have the north coming down and helping to set up industry. They didn't have them coming down and showing them how to do things. They basically came in done what benefited them and then pulled out. Right. And uh, you mentioned in the beginning, and I'm curious if this is something, a story you want to tell on this podcast. If you, you mentioned both, your, both of your family's ancestors fought on the North and the South. Is there, is that the story you can tell right now? Which is oh, yeah. Yeah, most story. definitely. Um, my, uh, one of my grandfather's direct ancestors was a name by the name of Elmer Ellsworth. Uh, he was the leader of a Zouab unit that fought for the Union. And they, they, they were the ones that wore the real pretty blue coats and the baggy red pants and had the little 
the little tiny hats with a with a, like an ostrich plume stuck in them. And they were tasked, his unit was tasked with pulling a Confederate flag off of the top of a hotel. And they busted in the door. They ran upstairs, got up on the roof, pulled the flag down. Coming back down the stairs, Elmer was shot point blank by the hotel owner with a shotgun. And the owner died instantly because Elmer's second in command just spun right around the railing and shot the owner with his musket. Um, But he was a very, very close friend of uh, Abraham Lincoln's. Elmer was. And um, Lincoln, Lincoln mourned his death. They were the families knew one another. Uh, they were they were friends. Lincoln Lincoln was quoted on more than one occasion uh, saying that he was a close friend and that his his death would be mourned. Um, as I wonder what the the yeah. other one was a man by the name of Lightning Ellsworth. And he rode with Morgan's Raiders, which was a uh, it was a, a cavalry unit that came up out of Tennessee and up through Kentucky and crossed into southern Indiana. Um, and they had their very first engagement there in southern Indiana at what was one point in time the the uh, the territorial capital? It was a place called Cordon, Indiana, um, which is right down very close to the Ohio River. That was the territorial capital of Indiana before it became a state. And uh, they had their very first artillery piece. Uh, the the Con- Morgan's Raiders did, and they were continuously firing at Cordon, but they couldn't get it tuned in right. So every cannonball they shot went completely over the city and landed on the north side of the town. Um, but they that was a very short uh, two-day engagement, and then they headed west into um, Ohio and got clear over to the Ohio River between Ohio and uh, West Virginia, and they kept wanting to continue to cross the river, but they couldn't. But what, what my ancestor did, what Lightning Ellsworth did, is he was a um, he was a communications expert. And what he would do is he would tap into the um, the lines and he would send false messages to the locations of where Morgan's Raiders were at. And these, right. he was tapping into the Union lines, and basically he was sending out, oh, well, they're at these coordinates, but they may be 50 miles away from that spot. So he was always keeping, keeping Morgan's Raiders one step ahead of the Union Army that was out hunting for him. Right. And I think yeah, that's, that brings this podcast to an end for this episode. And before I quit, do you have anything you want to promote? Anything you want me to put down in the link in the description? Um, not unless you would like to promote my uh, my YouTube channel. Um, of course. Uh, of course we can it's, do that. Uh, it's, it's Living History Comes Alive.
And well, and I will put a link in the description. This has been World That Aged Well. We are available on Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever you you can find a podcast. I guess uh, my guest today has been Drew Andrew Ellsworth. And I'm sorry again if I said the name say the name Actually, wrong. Actually, very close. Very very good. We, we are also thank you very much. And we are. We are coming out every week with a new episode. We are also on Instagram, so make sure to check that out. Give us a follow for new updates and new information about the next episode. And this has been Well That Aged Well. Thank you very much for listening. Have a- Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.